Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful message that is in your word. Lord, we do not have to be someone special to be accepted by the God of heaven. All we have to do is believe on his name. We thank you for this great truth. We thank you for your great love that could only come from the great God. Lord, we ask that you would be with our time this morning that we have dedicated to your worship. Lord, that you would take our thoughts off of all other things. Allow us to concentrate and to think not only with our heads but with our hearts on the greatest truth of all time. How that the God of heaven cared enough about us sinful human beings to save us from our own sins. Lord, we ask that we would worship you today. We ask if there be one here today that is unsaved, that today they would be able to see clearly their need of salvation and that they would come to you, that they might be born again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain. Beautiful, beautiful hymn. And this morning, I want to speak upon something that we've been working on for several weeks. The title of the message is the title of a new tract that our church is printing, How Can a Man Be Born When He Is Old? And as I was preparing, I kept racking my brain. I said, what am I going to preach on? What? And wait a minute, I've been studying this day and night for the last two weeks trying to... And let's just talk about this subject. John chapter 3, Nicodemus asked a question. He simply said in John chapter 3 and verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Now that's quite an interesting question. And in order to understand it, we have to put it in proper context... Jesus had just told Nicodemus in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I ran into a fellow and he thought he knew a whole lot about the Bible because he was of Greek heritage. He said, The Bible's ours, it's Greek. I'm Greek. The Greek Bible does not say born again. I said, okay, what does it say? He says, born above. Okay, were your parents above? He looked at me kind of funny. I said, you see, you haven't been born above. You were born below. It's the same thing, my friend. It's another birth. That's what confused Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus was as religious a man as there ever lived. There is no one in this building, I would never pretend to say to you that I am even comparable in my religion to Nicodemus. Now, I have spent my entire adult life doing nothing but studying the Bible. 
I mean, we've done a few other things. We've done some construction projects and worked with event Brother Clayton and, and, uh, and uh, taught school for a year. But my entire life has been in preparation, adult life. I was 17 years old when I left home. I went to Bible college, spent four years there, and have been in the ministry ever since. But I wouldn't pretend. I'd be lying to you today to tell you that I'm anywhere close to Nicodemus in his religiosity. He had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And by the way, he didn't have chapter divisions and verses like we do today to divide up the entire text. So it's easy to find one little part. He memorized the entire book as one text block. If you're a computer savvy there, you know what I'm talking about. It was just one block of text, the entire book. That was the only markers he had. Let me tell you, it takes a lot more work to memorize a big long document without little markers than it does to say, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6 says... I mean, that gives us all these little things in our mind to help us keep track of where we are. There's a lot of repetition in those books. But he knew which repetition belonged to which book. He went to synagogue, not on Sabbath alone, but seven days a week. He prayed at specific times Every day. If you met Nicodemus, he would look and he would hear, if he was in Jerusalem, they would sound the shofar from the temple at the hours of prayer. And there were several of them during the day. And Nicodemus would, if he was, he would stop in mid-sentence and begin to pray. Out loud on the street corner. And the Bible tells us as we look at Nicodemus that He was not like some of the other Pharisees who did these things out of a desire for self-righteousness and worship of men. I'm sure you've all met religious people whose only pretense to religion was the fact that they wanted other people to look at them and tell them how good they were. You ever met anybody like that? Oh, the most disgusting class of people that walk the face of the earth. Even the homeless people were more honest than those who perform their religious acts so that people will worship them. Why do you think these Hindu gurus and all that sit in these caves for 50 years and never say a word? It's because they want everybody to pay attention to them. The very thing they claim they're not doing. But that's what sin does. That's what false religion Does false religion always brings attention to the worshiper? True religion always brings attention to Jesus Christ. That's the difference. And you can use Jesus' name and still be a part of false religion. Now, Nicodemus fasted two days every week. From sunup to sundown, he didn't eat any food. He spent his entire days in prayer. I mean, Nicodemus 
his group called the Pharisees, and I've used this example, it's the most extreme that I know. I had a Bible college professor who claimed to have studied all the writings of the Pharisees and everything. He said they had 300 regulations on how to handle Egyptian cucumbers. Nicodemus knew all of them. You read through your New Testament. Jesus said they had many traditions about washings and, and all of these things. I mean, his entire life was nothing but obedience to tradition and to the Bible and studying the Bible. And Nicodemus came to this young rabbi. Nicodemus was an old man. He came to this young man. He says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He said, we know that you've come from God. Nicodemus was trying to befriend Jesus. Most of the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. In fact, they would become his bitterest and most hate-filled enemies. Much more than the Romans. The Romans didn't care as long as he didn't cause them any problems. The Pharisees made sure that he did so that they could get him crucified later. But this was early in Jesus' ministry. And and this religious man said, I'm confused. I know that you're come from God. But you're against us. I, I want... I want to see if there's some type, some way we can be reconciled. And Jesus was not being rude. He was not trying to shock Nicodemus. But he wanted Nicodemus to understand the heart of the issue. He said, verily, verily, that's old English for truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, what Jesus just told Nicodemus was the fact that you had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized doesn't matter one bit. The fact that you've been to synagogue every day of your life since you've had a choice on where to go in your life doesn't matter a bit. The time that you pray three times every day doesn't matter one bit. The fact that you are the most righteous man man that lives in the city of Jerusalem and arguably from history, the little bit we do know, Nicodemus was that man. If there was such a thing, he he was the most religious and righteous man living in Jerusalem in his day. Jesus said it doesn't matter. Unless you're born again, you're not going to heaven. You cannot see Heaven, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You can't even see it. Now, Nicodemus was totally confused at this point. He says, what do you mean, born again? How can a man be born when he is old? Then he goes on and he says, can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He said, you mean I've got to become a little baby and be born? What, what are you talking about here? If he was from the East, the Eastern world, he would have said, Oh, I know what you're talking about, reincarnation. No. Jesus said you got to be born again. Not come back in a different form. That's reincarnation. 
and he makes a statement, and there's a lot of confusion about verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, I read 5 and 6 together because I believe verse 5 clarifies verse 6. Yes, there is more to being saved than just praying a prayer. It is a work that only God can do. You cannot cause yourself to be born again. God has to give you birth. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But the last thing that happens before a baby is born, one of the last things, is the water breaks. That's the term we use for it. I believe that's what Jesus was referring to when he said, "If a man, except a man be born of water. Because he wanted to make a differentiation here. He wanted to make something, a statement that we have a lot of people today that are really confused about. They think that, uh, I believe it's the country of Ecuador, is the first major nation on the face of the earth to pass a law giving human rights to trees and grass and cats and dogs and every living thing in the land of Ecuador now has the same rights as a human being. Seriously. This, this wasn't new. This happened a little over a year ago. I don't know what the lawyers have done with this yet, but it's kind of interesting to find out who signed up to defend the cats at the animal shelter. Who signed up to defend the monkeys in the jungles? Who's going to defend the clouds when we put soot into the air? Jesus was trying to clarify all this stupidity. He came to save human beings. You've got to be born a human to be a human. Now, we all understand there are some really strange people that live on our planet. Amen. Most of them are called politicians, but I mean, excuse me, but we have some really strange people out there now, don't we? Every once in a while. How many of you ride the subways? I mean, every once in a while, you're going you're gonna to see something unusual. Peter used to talk about this fellow all the time that came in every morning. He rode, he left here about 530 in the morning and Somewhere between here and Canal Street, this guy would get on every morning with a Nazi SS uniform on and high boots and the whole thing, shaved head. And I'll tell you, there's a few things dumber than that. But people do it. But that man's not, doesn't lose his human being status because he does something vile and stupid. He's still a human being. The Bible tells us here, except you be born of water and of the Spirit, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. May I make a statement this morning? Our first comparison between the physical birth and the spiritual birth is life must come from life. 
Dead people don't give birth. You say, oh, but wait a minute. I know a lady that was in a car accident and she was brain dead and, and they, they took her in and kept her alive long enough to, to give birth to the baby by cesarean section and the baby lived. Yeah, 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 but she was alive. She was alive when that baby was conceived. She was alive. As that baby grew to the point that it could live outside the mother's womb, she was killed by a tragedy at the very last moment. But life, only life generates life. You say, but we can, we can generate life, we can do it in a test tube today. Oh yeah. But you have to implant that life into a living womb. For it to survive. Life only comes from life. Spiritual life only comes from God. In human birth, a mother and a father come together and we have what we call conception. We have the joining of the elements of life. And at that moment, that little child, that life begins And if left unhindered, that life will develop and be born and become a human being. That's what happened to everyone in this room today. Amen? Spiritually, it takes two elements. And you can describe those elements in very many different ways. But the words I like to use are the Bible words. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It takes two elements. It takes grace, and it takes faith. Grace is a wonderful thing. If you look it up in any Bible dictionary... The first definition of grace will be unmerited favor. It will be goodness bestowed upon the undeserving. That's what grace is. Now, God is a gracious God. When we sinned against a holy God, whose laws did we break? God's laws. You say, yeah, but man had some laws too, and, and we can break those laws. Yes, yes, but the issue here is every time we break one of man's laws, we've broken God's laws. It's God's laws that everyone has broken. And, and someone will say, but I don't think I've ever done that. I don't think I've broken God's laws. Well, you need to read what it says. The most broken is the first of the commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And someone living in America today would say, Now, wait a minute, Pastor, that's ridiculous. I've never gone into uh, uh, a church or a place. I've never bowed down to another uh, worship, uh, another statue. I've never prayed to anybody but to God directly. How do you say that I have uh, uh, broken that commandment that I've put other gods before the God of heaven? Well, it's very simple. Every time we sin, 
we take our will and write it over top of God's. In essence, we make ourselves a God, little g, little o, little d, every time we sin. In addition to our sin. But we still together on that? When I break God's laws, I'm saying, God, you're wrong. I'm right. That's putting a God, yourself, before the God of heaven. Every time I make a choice to disobey God's word, whatever that thing is that I'm choosing, I'm putting above the God of the Bible. And I'm obeying it rather than the God of the Bible. And I'm saying that this thing, whatever it is, is more important to me than God. Now, we do this so many different ways, it's not even funny. But you don't understand, Pastor. My family came to visit. I can't come to church when my family's here. They they don't like that kind of thing. They they wouldn't like your preaching. Well, that's not the issue. The issue is, are you going to honor God or are you going to honor your family? But Pastor, Super Bowl Sunday only comes once a year. I certainly could miss Sunday night. You're honoring a game over God. We always have Sunday evening service, especially on Super Bowl Sunday. And by the way, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. But I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I was in church because this is where I'm supposed to be. You see, grace is the fact that we've broken God's laws. And God sent His Son, who is God, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins, which we have committed against a holy God. You cannot find that anywhere in the religions of the world. You take any religion you want. You take the Protestant religions. They're supposed to be Christian. But what do they tell you in the Protestant religion? Most of them have devolved to a point today where they say, well, you just do the best you can and God understands. I can't find that in the Scripture. God did understand. That's why He sent His Son Jesus to pay the price for our sins. Yes, let me tell you, we'll find an occasional Methodist pastor, an occasional Um, oh, and I forgot the denomination. You got Methodist occasional. Very rarely will you find a Presbyterian. It's almost impossible today to find a Lutheran pastor that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, they may give assent to that doctrine, but it's not central. I don't know that we've ever had a service at Open Door Bible Baptist Church where we have not mentioned the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a difference. And I'm not here to be offensive today. 
But most religion, you go to the Orthodox Church, you go to the Catholic Church, you go to any varieties of those organizations, and they will tell you that salvation is in the church. That's not grace. Because if you have to obey church rules to earn your salvation, it's not grace, it's works. And there are preachers who call themselves priests who are so arrogant as to tell you that if you're not careful, I'll take your salvation away from you. There's nothing more blasphemous than that. Who do you think you are? Why? And the vicar of Christ on earth. Now what they mean is, since God is not here on earth anymore, I am here in His place. How any man could frame those words with his own mouth describing himself. Uh, It qualifies you for a room in an insane asylum. It really does. There is no bit of Human, there is no bit of possible explanation how a man could say something about himself like that. Yet, here in Manhattan, we have the mission of the Holy See to the United Nations. Now, that word see means seat. He says, I am sitting in the seat of God, and I am here to give the United Nations God's message. That's not grace, my friend. Grace. We go to an empty cross. That's grace. Jesus, when he was on the cross, said, It is finished. If it is finished then there's nothing left for me to do. That is grace. Jesus Christ, as God, suffered for our sins in our place and has obtained an eternal redemption for all who will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's grace. But grace alone will not save you, my friend. You can know everything that is in this book called the Bible. You can know that Jesus died to pay the price for your sins, But until you personally put your faith in that God and ask Him to forgive you your sins, you have not been saved. You must have both elements. You must have grace and faith to have eternal life. The Bible says, For whosoever shall what? Call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, For with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I I want to tell you today that life can only come from life. Your parents were alive when you were conceived. You were born. You entered the human race. But he who liveth forever says, I will give you Eternal life, if you'll accept my grace through faith. Now, how do you get faith? We know the verse. Say it with me. Faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Faith is simply taking the words of this book called the Bible and acting upon them. That's faith. 
You can believe all day long, but if you're not willing to trust it, if you're not willing to obey it, you don't believe it. Remember the first time I heard this, I got a little upset. Preacher said, you only believe what you live. The rest of it's just a bunch of religious garbly gook. I said, wait a minute. Nobody can live everything in the Bible. Oh, wait a minute. God wants us to live what's in these words. Amen? And when we fail, we're supposed to go to Him, confess our sins, and ask for strength to live it again. That's the Christian life. Amen? Life comes from life. Being born again, not of corruptible seed which perisheth, but of the incorruptible seed by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. But there's another element. It's called time. I can't tell you how many people have told me, Well, Pastor, I've always been with God. Have you ever heard anybody say, Well, I've always been born. I've just always been alive. Well, I've always been alive since my birthday, and I've never stopped since my birthday, but I wasn't alive before my birthday. Because I wasn't here yet. Amen? And occasionally I'll run into a human being that will say, I just don't know if I've ever been born. I I just don't know if I'm living or not. Now, we have special places and special help for people that have special problems. And we're not trying to make fun of that in any way. Those are serious and they're real and, and people need real help. But if you're looking in the mirror and saying, I don't know whether I've been born or not, please see me afterwards. Let's get you the special help that you need to get over that. You see, a living human being doesn't question the fact that they're alive. But why do we have so many people who wander through life wondering if they've been spiritually alive? Going, well, I just don't know that I'm saved. I've had people, so many people tell me with a straight face, oh, you can't really know whether you're saved or not till you get to heaven. So it's too late then. Wait a minute. Does that make sense? You know, I really don't know whether I've been born or not, but I won't know until I die. Then I'll know that I've been born. Does that make any sense to you? Now, here's what Jesus is saying. Your physical birth is just like your spiritual birth. Every one of us in this room was born at a specific moment in time. If you have a birth certificate, it's recorded on that birth certificate. There's not a delivery room in this country that doesn't have a big clock on the wall, uh, on every wall actually, where they want to know when that baby is, has been born. It's important. You can't get your IRS tax deduction without one of those things. Uh, I mean, you have to know when you're born. When a baby's even born at home, not in the hospital. One of the first things that the midwife or the attendant has to do is they have to fill in the time and the date of birth. How many of you remember the time when you were born? I was kind of young. I'm not sure I remember that. 
Well, you can look it up on your birth certificate and it will tell you, but you don't remember. But you know that you've been born because you're alive. When God's grace and His faith come together in your life, it will cause you to be born again because the life comes from God, not from you. Amen? That's how a man is born when he is old. God's grace, God's faith connect in your soul to a living God and He gives you life. By the way, I love this point because it just helps us understand so many things. Who did all the work when you were born? Ladies, who did all the work? Mama did, didn't she? Well, the doctor was there. Oh, yeah. We had a good doctor And I mean that in every right sense in Ohio. He was a very good doctor. He said, I just show up to catch the babies. And he ought to know he'd caught 10,000 of them when we were his patient. I mean, that's all he did was deliver babies. And he was very, very good. He said, life comes from the mother. He said, we step in when there's some problems and try to keep that life going. He said, but we're very limited in what we can do. You know, the same is true in the spiritual realm, is it not? That's why Jesus Christ said it is finished on the cross, because He had done all the work. That's why the Bible says, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Now, a lot of times people say, well... Pastor, I I did believe, but I don't know if I believed enough. Now, wait a minute. Let's stop here. Did it say even to them that believe enough? Let's go back to that word faith. Faith is acting upon God's Word. Do you think God's sitting up there in heaven with angels recording the words of your prayer and saying, I'll be Mr. Word! We're not going to save this one. In fact, the shortest salvation prayer recorded in the Bible is not what you see in most gospel tracts and books today talking about salvation. It just simply was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Doesn't sound like that guy's trying to help out any, does it? That's how simple it is to be born again because God is the one that has done all the work. But there's a lot of other things that happen when a baby's born, is it not? A baby is born into a family. If things are right here on earth, that child will inherit automatically by birth the titles, the name, and all of the history of his father's family. That is the way things are set up. Now, being human beings, we mess everything up now, don't we? But God doesn't make any mistakes. He tells us in the Bible over and over again, He sent His Spirit into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Our translators, when they saw that word, 
because of their great respect and reverence for God, just uh, couldn't even translate it into the English language because it's the term that a little child calls his daddy. Say, how can we refer to the God of heaven like that? You see, they didn't want to do what many of the modern translations want to do, and that's reduce God's Word to gutter slang and to words that have no meaning today. That's why you got people running around saying, Jesus is my homie. Oh, come on, give me a break. He's not in agreement with you. He wants you to be in agreement with Him. There's a difference there, my friend. This thing of all the work is done by God, but we're born into His family. He's adopted me. He's bought me. He's given me birth into His family. Who's the best one to take care of a newborn baby? It's the same mother who went through all of that work in labor and delivery to give birth to that baby now, isn't it? Where are you supposed to get care as a newborn Christian? From the Word of God. But as a newborn Christian, you can't understand the Word of God any more than a newborn baby can go up to the Neptune Diner and order a surf and turf. Uh, And it wouldn't do him any good even if he could. Listen. You've got to go to a church where the Bible's taught. You see, they get it mixed up. Churches like to think of themselves as very important. And the church is very important. But the church doesn't give you life. God gives you life. The church can't take it away. Because God is the one who gives it. The church is the nursery for the newborn babies. Amen? It's the place where you're to get the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. It's the place, and one of the things about preaching a sermon like this is most of the people in here are saved today. You've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're truly saved, you don't mind hearing it again. It's a blessing. To understand more and more about what God has done to save me. And if you're unsaved, I challenge you to take this to heart and ask God to save you today. By the way, all things given, what is a baby supposed to do? Grow. Do you realize you grow more? in your first year of life than you will in the entire rest of your life, normally. It is absolutely amazing how a baby goes from one cell that you can't even see unless you have a very powerful microscope to seven or eight pounds. And then that baby will triple, normally triple his birth weight. Aren't you glad you can't do that now? Wouldn't that be awful? I mean, my son Andrew grew almost eight inches in one year, but he didn't triple his birth. He didn't triple his weight, and it's a good thing. Couldn't afford to feed it. Um, but the simple thing is, a normal baby grows, and a baby grows faster. 
than at any other time in his life. That's why the Bible says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A baby's supposed to grow. You feed that baby the right things and it's going to grow. You get the Word of God in your soul and in your heart and you're going to grow spiritually. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. And what is supposed to happen is that baby is supposed to grow up. And someone said, how, how are you doing and, and your wife doing since your daughter left home? We're doing okay. She misses home a lot. But we're doing okay. You know why? Because we raised her to leave home. I don't want my children to be under my control and under everything all my life. I want them to grow up and live their lives. Amen? That's what they're supposed to do. Now, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong if you still live at home. That's not the idea. But you ought to take some responsibility and become an adult. Amen? You see, God saved us so that we can go out and tell others what He has done. That's the cycle of life. That's what it means to be born again. Life begets life. You've got to go to God and ask Him for that life. He'll give it to you by His grace by His faith. Those two things will come together at a moment in time and you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. By the way, you only need to do that one time forever because God will only give you birth one time. I've met many people that have had many questions about their salvation and struggled with that. And the place where I always send them is, wait a minute, let's start at the beginning. You're either saved or you're not. Don't just pray the prayer again and hopefully that will make you feel better. That's not faith. Faith is praying and believing that God will do what He said in His Word. You say, I've never done that. Then you're not saved. You can get saved in just a few minutes. You can get saved right there in your seat. It doesn't take a preacher to get you saved. God did all the work. Amen. Praise God. In a few moments, we're going to have a baptism. I'm hoping and praying the water's warm enough. But the water temperature doesn't matter about the baptism. You see, salvation has to happen before baptism. Baptism is like your birth certificate. It's where it tells everybody about you. Someone said, well, I was baptized in such and such a church. I said, does that such and such a church teach the Bible right? Of course not. That's why I'm not there anymore. I'm here. Well, then why do you want their baptism? Ooh, wait, wait, wait a minute. My uncle was the pastor of that church. Are you telling me he's not a real preacher? Well, wait a minute. I'm not saying anything about your uncle. I didn't know he was the pastor. What I am saying is, 
Baptism is your identification with Jesus Christ. When you're baptized in a church that doesn't teach the Bible, how can you be identified with Jesus Christ in the Bible? That's confusion, my friend. You need to get that straightened out. It's not hard. But that comes after you're saved. The water in first in John chapter three and verse five is not baptism. It's the water in your mother's womb that gives you life. Baptismal water is your testimony to the world at large of your faith in Jesus Christ. You take that faith and you live it in a local church. And you will grow in grace and in service until Jesus comes back. How many of you need encouragement? I don't know anything more encouraging than going over the God's plan of salvation. I don't know anything more encouraging than remembering that Jesus Christ died to pay the price for every one of my sins. He knew them all before I was born, yet He still died for me and loved me and saved me. The devil loves to just sit on my shoulder and remind me of the stupid, evil things that I have done. But he doesn't stay around long when I start thinking and praising Jesus for paying the price for every sin. You want spiritual warfare? Just go get on your knees before the cross of Jesus Christ and start thanking him for every sin that he's forgiven you for. Tell you what, the devil's not going to stick around for that. You want to be used of God? We just got 25,000 new church tracts. Let's pass them out. Amen? Tell somebody about Jesus. Let's serve God together. How can a man be born when he is old? Very simple. You come to God and get life. You realize that that life comes at the moment in time when God's grace and God's faith comes together and you ask Jesus Christ to save you. The work has all been accomplished by Jesus Christ as it was by your mother when you were born. You were born into a family. I'm joint heirs with Jesus Christ according to the Bible. I've got his name. I remember my dad telling me often, says, your, name, your family name doesn't mean much to anybody else, but it means a lot to me. And he said, you better live up to it, or I'm going to make sure that you do. And he wasn't kidding. I'm glad I had a father like that. But you know what? My heavenly father is the same way. He wants me to live up to that name. The only problem is I fail all the time. So do you. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't kick us out of the family because we make a mistake. Aren't you glad he's long-suffering? You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to do for others what somebody did for you in giving you the gospel that you could be saved. That's how simple it is. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. This is a time we call the time of invitation. If you're here today and you examine your own soul and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. 
in a few moments, I just would ask you to leave your seat and get my attention down here in the front. We'll have someone take this book called the Bible and show you from the Bible how you may know that your sins are forgiven, that heaven is your home. If you are saved today, maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you that you haven't been living as a part of the family, that you're not growing like you should, that you're not repeating that cycle of life and telling others about how they may have the joy and the peace and the life that only God can give. There's an old-fashioned altar here to just get on your knees and ask God, change the way you live. Maybe there's someone here that needs to be baptized. We'll set up a time and answer all the questions and help you understand what the Bible says. And we'll plan that event as soon as is humanly possible. Maybe someone says, I'm saved, I'm baptized, but I'm not a member of a church. Well, we have one we recommend rather highly around here. We'd love you to join with us in your service for God. You have to be saved the Bible way, baptized the Bible way, and you need to desire to serve God the Bible way. That's the only, that's the only uh, biblical requirements for church membership. As we sing the song, we're going to pray. How many would just simply say, Pastor, God's spoken to my heart today. There's some things that need to be changed. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip up a hand? Now, praying for you doesn't change anything, but I'd like to pray for you, and I'd like you to pray for you. Who else would lift up a hand in just a moment? Say, pray for me, preacher, all over the auditorium. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. You saw the many hands that were raised, and Lord, we thank you that that people are tender to the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Lord... There's as many different needs represented as are our hands. And we're thankful that you know every one of them and are capable of meeting every need. But the goal of every need ought to be one, to serve the living God with our lives. Can't do that until you're saved. Can't do that unless you're surrendered. Lord, we ask that you would take this time of invitation and make it the greatest time of worship in our service today as we humble ourselves before a holy God and ask you to use our lives to lift up your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Page number five.